Draft's in nine days. I don't want any surprises. You're talking about one of the best scouts baseball's ever seen. You're talking about the guy that signed Ralph Gard, Dusty Baker, Dale Murphy, Tom Glavin. All due respect, Pete, the game's changed. He's so much bigger now. It's global. Needs somebody to keep up with the times. Good morning and welcome to episode 214 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I'm Sam Miller with Ben Lindbergh. Ben, do you want to... Do the logo update? Yeah, uh, the logo update is that we have one. Uh, we we put out a call on yesterday's episode for for some generous listener to make a logo for us, and before 10 a.m. we had one. Uh, our our listeners are pretty cool, so we got a logo that I think looks pretty snappy. Uh, it was made by Justin Wieners. You can follow him on Twitter at Justin Wieners. Uh, it is spelled the same way that my grammar school teacher, Miss Wiener, spelled her name, but with an S at the end. Uh, she was a very brave lady to teach small boys with that name. And you can see his other web design work at justinwieners.com. So thank you, Justin, for coming through so quickly. Um, and I guess while we're talking about listeners, I will, I will put out a call for uh, iTunes ratings and reviews, because I've noticed that that we get none when I don't ask for them. And then when I do ask for them every 30 episodes or so, we get a flurry of them, which is probably why every other podcast starts by telling people to rate and review them on iTunes. So, uh, yeah, just imagine if we start just reading like stamps.com promos, <laughs> right. how, like, like Auto. other podcasts. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so if you have a chance over the weekend, and you listen to our show and think it is worthy of being rated and reviewed by you, uh, we would appreciate it as it helps us reach new listeners. Do you remember when that uh, reader sent us uh, music that he said we could use? Yes. And we both really we both really liked it, and then we yes. never followed up? <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, he sent us music that we could use as theme music, but I've kind of gotten attached to the, the coming up with a new sound every day. Um, mm -hmm. so we didn't, but that All was, right. that was nice of him also. All right. Uh, what do you want to talk about today? BJ Upton. Mm, okay. And I'll talk about the international draft as I had intended to do yesterday. Okay. Uh, why don't you start? Okay. Um, so I, I did a radio spot last week. I think it was with a, a Tennessee station maybe. And they asked me basically how long the Braves should keep playing uh, B.J. Upton, um, who is, has not hit all season and really hasn't shown any signs of, of coming out of that. He's, I mean, he's hitting 146 on the season, uh, and he's hitting 148 over the last two weeks, and he's hitting zero over the last week uh, and without much, without much power, uh, without, I don't know, a, a ton of OBP because it's Tough to have a lot of OBP when you're hitting 146. He has the, the lowest true average of any hitter uh, with 150 plate appearances this season. So he has been out of the lineup in the last couple of days, uh, and there's been a, a bunch of talk about his mechanics and uh, what he has to do to fix them. Just looking at a, a story from... The Atlanta Journal-Constitution, uh, Upton said, it's an easy fix. It won't take long. Uh, 
the the Braves hitting coach said, uh, actually the Braves, like the Royals, have two hitting coaches, uh, or I guess the Royals now have one. I don't know how many they have now. Did either of the Braves hitting coaches say that he's going to lead the league in not getting hit? <laughs> I didn't. I didn't see that. I guess they learned their lesson from Jack Maloof and his his rapid demise. Uh, so Greg Walker, who is their primary hitting coach, says that there is a flaw. There is an excessive load portion of his complex swing, the part where he leans back before coming forward. The flaw has caused him to be chronically late on fastballs all season. Uh, the pitch arrives before he straightened his posture, and Upton ends up leaning back, swinging upward, usually beneath the ball. Is complex swing a is that a term, or are they saying that his swing is complex? Uh, they're they're saying yeah, they're not saying that he looks like he's playing in the complex league or something. But complex complex swing is not a baseball term that you're aware of. I don't of. think so. I think they're saying okay. his swing it, is complex. All right. uh, Good. And uh, so. It says, instead of completely revamping his swing in midseason to try to get Upton back to the simpler style he used five years ago, the Braves and Upton agreed that he would make smaller but significant adjustment for now by eliminating, mo- eliminating most of the load mechanisms. So he's been off for the last couple of days. Presumably he will come back soon and, and have some sort of simplified mechanics, uh, and we'll, we'll see whether that does anything. So I was wondering, because we, we talked recently and I don't really remember what the context was. I guess it was when we were talking about hot streaks, maybe. We were talking about how long someone like Miguel Cabrera would have to go hitless before we took him oh, out right. of the lineup. Yeah. We were talking about hitter, hitter yips. Oh, right. That's right. Okay. So I don't know what we said, but basically we, we said that we would leave someone who has demonstrated that he's a good hitter in the lineup for kind of a really long time before we do anything about it, I guess, or before we would bench him. Um, so I wonder what the Braves would do when I was asked on the radio, and I guess it was a week or two ago, I, I basically said you you just kind of have to be patient with a guy like that who is not old and has a, a pretty long track record of being at least a, a decent hitter and whom you just signed to a, a big contract and and have a lot of vested interest in getting straightened out. Um, so how long do you stick with, with BJ Upton if he doesn't improve? Do you keep running him out there? Do you wait until his swing looks good to let him play again? Or do you think that basically he could just kind of click at any time? So you just keep putting him out there because you know, he's been good in the past and, Obviously, he has some some secondary value. Uh, so, how long do you give a guy like B.J. Upton? He's at 179 plate appearances right now. Do you just let him keep going indefinitely, hitting like this, or is there a point at which you just say enough? Uh, you know, my instinct is always to say let him keep going indefinitely, and uh, I think that that instinct probably. Um, is well i think it's a healthy instinct that you shouldn't get married to um and you know if if it sounds like they've you know if they've identified something that explains him you know being bad mm-hmm. uh then that's a lot different than if you're you're if you're just thinking wow how come none of these hits are falling i mean he you know if 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 you didn't know about the load and you were just sort of looking at him and saying well you know he's he's got a 200 babbit he's you know 
drawing you know a, a fair amount of walks he's striking out a lot but he always does he's on pace to hit you know 16 home runs which is like you know a couple of home runs less than he should have but not a, a huge number you might be able to talk yourself into thinking that he's just in a slump but you know if they've if they've discovered some mechanism uh, by which he's doing poorly you take it a lot more seriously i mean one thing is that upton is not um you know upton is not miguel cabrera upton is not a guy that you think is is uh you know definitely immune to this sort of a thing over the last uh, from 2010 to, to 2012 he had you know a lower ops plus than logan morrison and alex avila and daniel murphy and ryan domed and uh kristen norfia and uh you know a whole lot of guys john jaso a whole lot of guys who you wouldn't if they if they slumped like this you wouldn't think well he's certainly going to bounce back i mean you know guys guys fall apart and uh you know he's as a as a hitter he he probably he isn't really a a a name hitter he's a he's kind of a name player Mm -hmm. because of uh his his total contribution um but in a lot of ways the bat is is you know maybe the the weakest part of of his game maybe i mean basically you you like him because his his bat is is okay it's 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 been pretty good and and he he runs well and he plays a premium position so um you know if, if johnny gomes were were hitting like this uh we wouldn't be talking about it we're you know I, for all i know johnny gomes is hitting like this and uh or david murphy is hitting like this and they've basically been the exact same hitters as as bj upton over the last uh three years not, not counting this year even so upton's obviously quite a bit below those guys now um so you know like i don't think that it's a it's a it's a given that upton's just going to hit his way out of this mm-hmm. um so i might be you know i I'm, i might find a, a reason to to disable him for 15 days or something like uh-huh. that i remember we we talked about him over the winter i think when he signed uh-huh. and i don't remember exactly what we talked about but i, I think it was something about what kind of player we think he is uh, yeah, it was uh, it was specifically we were talking about whether he's um, whether he deserves to be the highest paid of the center field right. group because he's so he was he was the of the five or so center fielders who were available and it was Bourne, Pagan, Hamilton, Upton, and uh, I don't remember who the fifth one was, but it might have might have been a center fielder, uh, but it might have been a corner corner outfielder. I can't remember, but he was. Over the previous, you know, season he had been the worst. Over the previous two seasons he had been the worst. Over the previous three and over the previous four he had been the worst. And it was sort of baffling to me that uh, that the attention given to him was so much higher than to Pagan, for instance, and uh, Bourne. And so we were wondering whether his age alone, uh, or perhaps his age plus pedigree, uh, made that a, a smart upside play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was. Ken Rosenthal did a, did a video yesterday where he was talking about how when Upton signed that contract, all of the veteran players or retired players that Rosenthal talked to were uh, really surprised that he made that much money um, and kind of questioned it at the time. Uh, and so now Rosenthal was bringing it up now that he's struggled. And I didn't think it was a, it was a, a, a huge overpay at the time. Um, I didn't think it was it was a sweetheart deal or anything, but it, it seemed like, I don't know, close to, to market rate for a free agent, I guess, of his age and abilities. Um, but I, I don't know. I'm always, 
I'm kind of naturally skeptical about mechanical changes, I guess, uh, mm-hmm. just because it, it seems like, I mean, first you have to identify the mechanical flaw, and then you have to fix it. And I think, I mean, when a player is struggling, I think there's probably a, a tendency to see certain things as flaws that that you wouldn't single out as flaws if that player were, were hitting, um, possibly. I mean, mm-hmm. it certainly makes sense that there is a mechanical reason why B.J. Upton suddenly can't hit a fastball. Um, but it does seem like sometimes people kind of stretch a little bit, and and I don't know whether it's just more of a psychological thing, like let's tell the player that he needs to, you know, have a higher leg lift or something so that he can focus on that instead of the fact that he's just not hitting. He'll feel like he has some agency and he can actually correct it. Um, and it's it's difficult even when you find a real mechanical flaw and you decide how to fix it. It's kind of, it's it's hard to do that sometimes. Uh, it's hard to maintain that that new type of mechanics when you're changing something in season and you're used to the way that you were doing things, it can be hard to stick to that. Um, I did an, yeah. Yeah, I did an article once on, on mechanical changes and just kind of looked to see whether those players actually improved after their changes. And it was, I wasn't going to find anything definitive no matter what I did because obviously those players were all struggling and probably just would have gotten better anyway. Um, but it was, I don't know. It was hard. It was inconsistent. It wasn't like every player implemented the mechanical fix and then suddenly went on a tear. Uh, some guys just kind of kept struggling for a while. Yeah, my feeling on mechanics is always like if if somebody is slumping and then they say that they've you know found something and fixed mm-hmm. it, then I, you know I take it somewhat seriously or uh, you know I, I have some optimism. If they are just uh, if they're rebuilding their swing and uh, like if they come in, if, if they come back from the off season and they've got a rebuilt swing or something like that, um, I tend or if you know like if they're old and they're rebuilding their swing rather than you know fixing a, a thing that de- you know a, a tick that developed, mm-hmm. then I tend to think that that's the you know the last stage before retirement basically. Right. Like I, I never want to see somebody go into full rebuild because it just seems like it's uh, probably an indication of uh, of madness or or sort of general instability. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it doesn't sound like that's what they're talking about with Upton. I mean, they 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 say he developed a bad habit and he needs to break out of it. So I'm sure that happens. Mm-hmm. That's what a hitting coach is supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and some people suggested. I think Keith Law suggested that maybe Upton had tried to hit home runs more last season uh, to, yeah. to kind of cash in in his free agent year and that maybe that had made some changes and he did he did hit a lot of home runs but he had a low average and struck out a lot um, so I mean he only hit five more than he hit the previous season yeah um, so you know he was 27 why not yeah so I don't know whether there was anything to that uh, if so maybe those kind of habits carried over intensified or something, but who knows? Maybe not. The other outfielders, by the way, that we compared him to were Victorino, Tory Hunter, and Nick Swisher, huh. uh, all of whom other than Hamilton got paid considerably less than Upton, even though all have, you know, quite frankly, much better track records. So, mm-hmm. but you know, age, 
age yep. age was probably the big factor there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, so uh, the I, I've I Ben Badler has been uh, writing about some of the implications of an international draft this week. If an international draft comes into play next year or sometime, as they're talking about. Um, and today, for instance, he wrote a piece about uh, how uh, trainers and some team officials uh, kind of worry that these decisions are being made without really taking into consideration the players themselves and you know what the players want and what the players need. Um, and I think that's a common concern that this is a fairly unjust um, uh, uh decision that Major League Baseball is perhaps going to make, but that's not what I want to talk about. I want to talk about an article he wrote uh, that ran yesterday uh, about scouts, and we briefly touched on this at at one point in the winter, but um, uh, Badler writes about how uh, a lot of scouts think that this is going to cost them their job, uh, particularly if they are in countries like Nicaragua, Colombia, Curaçao, that don't produce a couple dozen players a year, that only produce three or four, uh, because this, the draft and um, the draft will, in a lot of ways, um, I don't know, sort of even, the, I don't know quite how to put it, but take away some of the craft of finding these guys mm-hmm. and convincing them to sign with you and building up the relationship with them and you know really working for a couple of years to get them to sign with you. And um, this was something that um, in Dollar Sign in the mus- on the Muscle was talked about a lot, that the draft, a lot of scout- scouts felt like it fundamentally changed what they did because uh, they no longer did they get to really um, uh, work to, to sign guys. They basically just drafted the guys that fell to them and then went over and offered them enough money to sign. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like, uh, you know, you, you didn't have to see all the guys because, you know, you knew a lot of them weren't going to be available to you and you didn't have to build any sort of relationship with them because they didn't have any other options. And um, so, I don't know, this was just a... It was an interesting article, and I guess from Baseball America's perspective, it's basically a, you know, it's a business story. It's a, it's an, it's an inside baseball uh, story. It's a, you know, trade story. Um, but I just wonder if it, uh, if it makes you, I mean, clearly uh, having a, um, having a, you know, a situation where all the teams are able to scout players and see players and do showcases for these players, which which will, you know, be happening, um, and, you know, making it easier for everybody to see and, and rate them is a good thing. I mean, I think that it's probably almost certainly the case that uh, with amateurs today, um, they are, the teams have a much better idea about a, a much higher number of players now than they ever did in 1950 when they had to invest a lot more time to sign their guys and they were, you know, they, they there wasn't the draft culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so in a sense, this is, you know, this is a much more efficient way to do things. It's a, it's a probably a better way to do things in terms of, in terms of identifying talent, evaluating talent and getting talent onto a major league team. Um, and yet it takes away this little skill that has been a big part of baseball. Um, and you know, that, these guys have crafted their their little roles in the sport, uh, where they can be, um, you know, they can be excellent in a niche area. Uh, does it make you sad at all that baseball is kind of smoothing out some of those jobs and might be, you know, ending the the Nicaraguan scout or the 
the Panamanian scout? I guess so. I, I mean, I don't know that baseball should ever not do something because because it would cost scouts jobs. Um, I mean, I think there there tends to be a lot of sympathy for scouts because they have difficult jobs and they don't get a ton of credit and they don't make a lot of money. Um, and I, I mean, I wish scouts well and I, I hope they all keep their jobs. Um, but I don't know that it's, that it's a reason not to make a change, uh, just because it might impact some scouts. Um, I guess I, I've kind of come around to the idea that I, I, I favor things that, uh, I guess that, that allow teams to differentiate themselves from the other teams because that seems to make baseball more interesting in a way. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so there's that, I guess. I, I mean, I, I guess it's less possible for a team to have such a great scouting staff that it is like uh, exploiting an inefficiency and, and, giving them a great advantage over other teams um, if there is if there is not that ability to... I mean, if, if signing guys is not really a, a skill anymore, uh, if, I mean, scouting is still a skill, but it, it used to be that I guess there would be a, a great value to having a scout who was just good at schmoozing, basically, uh, and good at, at getting to know people and setting them at ease and making their teams seem more attractive than other teams. Um, so I guess I'm, I'm sort of sorry to see that go. Uh, but yeah, there probably are advantages and, and benefits and ways that it would be more efficient uh, the way they're considering doing it. I feel like I'm kind of at this crossroads in my life where I'm sort of... Uh, I used to just be coldly efficient uh-huh. and whatever, you know, whatever was best or whatever was truest was obviously the right thing. And I feel like I'm getting to a place where eventually I'll be all human elemented <laughs> out and uh, and I'll just want everything to be just like it was when I was, you know, a kid and a younger mm-hmm. man. And I'm kind of at this, this crossroads right now uh, where those two things are kind of meeting in the middle. And we talked about it with catcher framing where... Yes. Uh, I'm slightly in, I'm slightly okay with umpires being terrible at their jobs <laughs> right. as long as it gives me catcher framing. Right. And um, I'm slightly okay with a less efficient I'm, I think I might be totally okay with a, a less efficient scouting system if it means that you have more colorful stories of mm-hmm. you know the, I mean you know the, when you think about this is, this is an interesting example based on how we know it turned out. but when you think about awesome scouting stories of the past, uh, you know, 15 years in, in America. There's, well, there's Albert Pujols. There's the Rays guy, the Rays scout who went out and found Albert Pujols and couldn't talk his team into drafting mm-hmm. him. Um, and then there's Toe Nash. And right. this idea that there's like, that you can go out and find this hidden player um, is, it's a great, great, great part of baseball history and baseball lore. And you can't really do it in the United States anymore. Toe Nash was... Uh, a great story because it was so unlikely and impossible. And sure enough, Toe Nash was, you know, it was nothing. He was basically, uh, you know, he was a, he was a myth, uh, and, and really nothing more, uh, at the end of the day. And so the idea that at least there's something like this in Latin America where you really do have to 
grind to find some of these guys. I mean, there are great stories that come out of Latin America. The Mariano Rivera story, for instance, where the Yankees scout found Ruben Rivera, and Ruben Rivera said, oh, by the way, I have this cousin. You should sign him too. And so they signed them both for like nothing. Mm -hmm. And then a few years later, Ruben Rivera was you know, the next Mickey Mantle and like the number two prospect in baseball. And, and Mo was just this sort of okay starter who was coming up. I mean, that's a great scouting story. And, uh, you know, you don't have a great scouting story about Derek Jeter, for instance, because all 30 teams saw him, all 30 teams essentially knew exactly what he was. Um, and so I don't know, I kind of like the idea that you should make it harder for scouts if possible. But then on the other hand, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> why, why, like, why should you do that? It's like a $6 billion. Industry. <laughs> right. why, should, I, why should we be making guys like, you know, do it the hard yeah, way? Yeah. I, I said at the end of my, my Grantland thing on, on catcher framing that what's good for baseball writers is not necessarily good for baseball or maybe mm -hmm. usually isn't. Um, so, I mean, these, these kind of stories give us, really interesting things to write about and I guess give people interesting things to read about also which maybe makes them more likely to become baseball fans but I can't really I can't really fault a, a team that is a business and a big business uh, for for trying to run itself efficiently or and I, and I guess, I mean, there is a benefit to just making sure that the best players are on the field at all at all times uh and making yes. sure that the quality of play is is the highest it can possibly be i guess although yes. well yeah. is there i don't know uh i guess if if the quality of player is lower but relative to the rest of the world it's it's just as high or just about as I high know. i think i don't it, i mean if people don't yeah, do people question. enjoy baseball more because a, a player now could uh probably be better than a, a player plucked out of the 40s and transported to now i i don't i don't know the high i mean the higher the i think the higher the standard of play the more it benefits pitching and if you think that the you know a a pitching rich environment where everybody is striking out eight batters per nine is aesthetically unpleasant as a lot of people think and as that maybe the common fan thinks then you could maybe argue that it's actually bad for baseball mm -hmm. but that's a completely Un, unthought out hypothetical so <laughs> goodness gracious don't hold me to that uh yeah okay well i guess i'm i guess i'm i'm with you there i have the same sort of sentiment um although i guess we we generally it seems like kind of disagree with the consensus on how how the new draft stuff impacts the ability of small market teams to compete mm -hmm. um you and I seem to to feel like maybe it helps them in the long run because because a big market team would have exploited the the loopholes or the the strategies that small market teams were exploiting first, and so ultimately it would help them. Um, anyway, I don't know. I, I agree with the the sentiment. Sort of sorry to see that that kind of scouting story go if it goes, but I understand why. All right. Well, I am not sorry to see this week go. We are done with the Friday show. We will be back on Monday with episode 215, and we hope everybody has a pleasant weekend. And we hope everyone emails us questions at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. <laughs>